Actually, that's the wrong music. We should probably shouldn't be playing that, even in Super Baby Bros. 8-bit form. <laughs> I'm not sure we? we have the rights to that, do we? Is uh, George Lucas going to come and find us? Let's hope not, Phil. Fair use. I'm sure we can just claim that. I and mean, that's what it was. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but also, we shouldn't even use it because it's not in the film, really, is it? No, not really, actually. This uh, film, Rogue One, has its own original score, which is slightly inspired by John Williams, but not quite. And it's written not by John Williams, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, exactly. And not only that, listeners, but if you couldn't guess, this is our spoiler-free, totally spoiler-free review for Rogue One, a Star Wars story and even the title cards are completely different so you can already picture with that theme the huge star wars logo disappearing into the you know the space horizon but that is absent from rogue one and i guess it's because they want it to be really clear this is something new this is a spin-off story it's not episode uh, eight it's not episode nine it's, it's not not anything like that it's not even episode i don't know what would it be 3b It'd be 3.5, and actually I have heard some people call it 3.5, episode 3.5. Uh, so, heard uh, well, we'll come on to that later. Should we give a brief summary of what the plot is without really saying what it is so we're not spoiling it for anyone? It's actually really quite hard to do, I think, Phil, but let's have a go, and then we'll have a clip to round it off. Why don't we explain up to that clip? How does that sound? Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. All right. This film is about Jen Erso. Jen Erso. Jen Erso, played by Felicity Jones. She is a uh, daughter of an imperial who happens to be absolutely essential to a big, big space station that the Empire is developing. And this is, in fact, the story of her getting embroiled into rebel affairs as they try and basically work out what this space station is about and whether or not there's any way to defeat it. That's right. If it does pose a threat, it's time to eliminate it by any means necessary. And the clip we're about to play you is on one of those missions. You need to imagine them piloting a ship through rain-soaked canyons, very low altitudes to avoid being picked up on radar. And we've got Bodhi Rook, a sort of cheeky pilot, giving directions to K2SO, who is the droid for some reason piloting the ship. And also sat next to him in the co-pilot seat is Cassian Andor, a Rebel Alliance intelligence captain. And I'm pretty sure Jin's in there as well, isn't she? Did you know any of those names before looking them up, Laurie? Do you know what, Phil? I've got the page in front of me, but I remembered most of them before I had to go to the page. Well, very well done It was done K2SO that really, you know, mm, made me nervous. Not as catchy as C3PO. No, exactly. Or uh, a brilliant clip from Lando Calrissian himself being interviewed. Have you heard this? Oh, yeah. C3... 3P3CO. 3P3 3PCO. <laughs> I love that. Anyway, listeners, here's the clip. Ten degrees up. No, 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 no. No! Are you sure this is the way? They, they have landing trackers here. They have patrol squadrons. You've got to stay in the canyon. Keep it low. Watch the right! There's a 26% chance of failure. How much further? I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I never really come this way. But we're close. We're close. I know that. Well, now there's a 35% chance of failure. I don't want to know. Thank you. I understand. The wind! If you keep going, you'll be right over the shuttle depot! Watch out! Hey! Well, there we are. I suppose it's kind of gripping edge of your seat action. You know what, Phil? Watching that clip, it did look pretty good to me, but it, it had some slightly annoying wisecracks as well. Yes, I think... Well, Laurie, we need to have a little bit of a chat about this yes. because are we going to reveal our hand right now up front or are we going to tease it out and not really say exactly what we thought of the movie? I think it's going to work well if we reveal our hand, but just remember, Phil... Think positive. It's the okay. end of the year. It's a Christmas blockbuster. Everyone needs their pick-me-up. 
Mm, I so I know uh, there's loads of expectations around Rogue One. I have to say, I kind of went into the cinema. I even said to you just before we went in, we were at a midnight showing. I said, I don't, I don't think this is going to be very good, man. And you said, what did you say? I can't remember honestly, Phil. It was. I think late you said night. you had high expectations. Actually, even though you didn't want to, you still had high expectations. Yeah, you're probably right, Phil. Frustratingly so. Unfortunately, I think this film is a bit of a mess. I don't believe what I've been reading from the reviewers who've been giving it four or five stars. I just think it really doesn't really know what it wants to be. Yeah. And there's some real tonal issues. There's, it's not an awful film, but in the context of a Star Wars film, I think it is really lacking. So just in some of the details, listeners, this is directed by Gareth Edwards, who sort of burst onto the scene directing Monsters, a really low budget, independently made sci-fi feature in which he did most of the computer effects as well. And that's a great little piece of filmmaking. Very simple story. He was then given Godzilla, the remake of starring Brian Cranston and Jai Courtney, I think, wasn't it? No, no, no. Aaron uh, Johnston. Oh, Taylor Johnson. Aaron Taylor-Johnson, yes. That's oh, right. great, okay, quite interchangeable, those guys. Mm. But, you know, and that received some praise and some criticism. I think generally it was very well regarded. I think it was really popular. It did well in the box office. I think it was a kind of a hit, and that led to him getting this role. Well, obviously they thought, here's a safe pair of young hands, a thrusting new talent. Let's put him at the helm of a huge uh, a step for us. I mean, Disney really have to make this succeed. It's a standalone Star Wars film, and they need that model to sort of justify the expense that they paid to own the Star Wars franchise. You know, they've got toys ready and waiting in the shelves to be sold. They, they need, and they've got the young Han Solo movie coming out as well. This is a real proof of concept a piece of filmmaking, so it has to deliver. But the thing is, is I, I that all makes sense when you lay it out like that. But if you look at it from a completely different perspective, this franchise is worth what three billion or whatever they paid for it. I think that's right. Yeah, it's something crazy that they paid for it. It's one of the most secure franchises you could possibly purchase. Hence, it's worth all that money. It's not actually that risky a pro- prospect, is it? You just put Star Wars on something and it's going to sell tickets. I mean, regardless of what we felt about it, we were go- we went and saw this midnight showing. There were plenty of people there seeing this midnight showing. And I find it really interesting, having seen the film, how nervous Disney seemed to have been in making this product. I mean, that's come out in the stories like the extensive reshoots they had, the huge uh, rewrites they did. Tony Gilroy, who's credited on the screenplay, I think even did some directing, didn't he, as well? Like, it, basically, they, they stopped, seemed to have stopped trusting Gareth Edwards and the screenwriters. Loads of stuff seems to have gone wrong behind the scenes that we'll probably never really hear about. Mm. And obviously, they were nervous and they wanted it to work well. But having, again, having seen the film, I start, I sort of have this feeling that Gareth Edwards is cut was the film that I wanted to see. But that's an easy thing to say, isn't it? And you just assume that before the studios get their grubby money hands onto it, you know, so to speak, uh, they'll just turn it into a corporate product. But I mean, I thought Godzilla was okay. I reckon he may have produced something that was just way, way, way wrong. Mm, I don't know. The thing with Gareth Edwards is... I, and don't worry, listeners, we are actually going to review the actual film. And, the, and this, is, this is part of reviewing the film, I think, as well, is that in Monsters and in Godzilla, it's amazing the amount of restraint he has in how he directs his films and what those films are about. I mean, you look at Godzilla, it's all about this big, giant dinosaur, and he holds back. He doesn't show the main monster until he wants to. He it's, it's a kind of a teasing effect throughout the movie. And the film that we have here in Rogue One, I think, is, isn't restraint at all. Instead, it seems to be constantly trying to put in as much as they can to make you feel like it's Star Wars, to link it up to other films so that your brain is ticking off, oh, look, I recognise that. Nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia. Yeah. And 
something in me just doesn't it doesn't equal it doesn't add up the the equation's not balanced no, Gareth I Edwards I don't think this is this is the product he would want to to make no I think you're right Phil and the nostalgia elements of this listeners just slightly moving on from the background are one of the biggest sore thumbs I can remember in a film for quite some time because you know The Force Awakens got some criticism for the way it relied on old storylines and old dynamics as well as old faces as well I mean it used uh, everyone's fond memories and slightly abused them this film is much much worse because it throws them in as if they're easter eggs but they have absolutely no subtlety whatsoever in the handling they're of it. just eggs they're not they're, hidden yeah. at all no they're just put right in front of you and they're totally unnecessary and they stick out they stand out it's it's it feels like box ticking it's a phrase we use a lot at the moment it feels like you know i hope this wasn't gareth edwards someone has come into production and said well why don't we have those guys uh, from that part of star wars in here and we can throw back to it and everyone will love that moment uh, and i think they can they literally imagine the cinema going oh yeah it's them or whooping I mean? or cheering and i just oh. no we were in the midnight showing phil i mean i've affectionately in my head referred to that as the geek peak showing <laughs> <laughs> peak geek what was it laurie we yeah. had a little uh, little contest running 10 points for if we spotted a girl i think the uh, the end total was 10 points each wasn't it yeah that's correct i think that's a bit mean spirited game but nonetheless true but yeah even that hardcore crew there weren't really laughs there weren't whoops. No one was pleased to see any of the Easter eggs that popped up. And this is, we're not going to spoil any of those, but I'm sure you already know that they're there. What did you think was good, Laurie? So, I mean, one of the things that is nice about this film is the attempts that they have made to make it really adventure-based. So one of the things about The Force Awakens is that it basically involved people who are thrown together randomly and they sort of found themselves pantomimingly acting out the same plot points as the original one mm. but without really meaning to whereas you know the original star wars luke wanted to go on the adventure sure his aunt and uncle got burnt to a crisp unpleasantly but he chose to go didn't he and he mm. wanted to save the princess and he chose to fly to the death star he got embroiled in the conflict force awakens not so much at least in this case there are a couple of scenes which are like mini adventuring set pieces i think especially once the pilot arrives the Bodhi from the clip that we played there were just a couple of sequences that I quite liked and they were clearly designed to be a fun little high point on a roller coaster ride. And so I liked the attempt to do that. But even then, as a positive, I thought the execution was quite clumsy on the whole and things that should have been high points were often just missed and, and the wrong element was focused on. So it's hard to give examples without spoiling it. But a scene in which X-Wings appear, I think it's the first scene in which X-Wings appear. If you sort of analyse that scene after you come away from watching the film, it's very hard to pick out what the high point of the action or the drama was in that scene because there wasn't really any. Are you it was a about, bit unfocused. Are you talking about moments in film? Yeah. And how in A, a Star Wars A New Hope, you've got that moment where, where Jantilles flies through the explosion of a TIE fighter that he attacks head on, and that's kind of a moment which is or lodged in your brain. even from a bigger point of view, if you talk about Hoth, the Battle of Hoth, that has many moments in it as well, doesn't it? Like it has the moment where Luke says, use your harpoons and tow cables, let's go for the legs. That's part of this adventure kind of thing I'm talking about. They had all the set dressing to make that possible, and then they sort of failed to do that. I think. It never really hits a high point or no, crescendo. it just sort of washes over you in a bit of a confusing mulch. The closest they get is towards the end. Mm, I agree. I think we're going to come on to other things which we weren't so keen on, but I do want to say a couple of things that I really did enjoy about the film, and I think the look of the film. And Laurie, I think you disagreed with me on this, but I think the look of the film is incredible. I really like the look 
of uh, the production design. I like the costumes. I like the special effects. I like the lighting. And uh, I thought it showed a different side of Star Wars. I think it was quite nice, particularly seeing a beach sequence uh, with palm trees. Uh, that's a new setting for lots of these uh, these spacecrafts and things. I like the fact that there's quite a lot of daylight in the film. Um, to, yeah, in certain points there were. They made good use of outdoor settings, yeah. And so I think that was really good. I really like the look of the film. I think I even prefer the look of this film to that of The Force Awakens. Interesting. I think I disagree with you there because one thing The Force Awakens did well was emphasise scale whenever it could. Well, that's funny funny you say that because I actually think one of the most successful elements of this film, of Rogue One, is the fact that Gareth Edwards seems to really be good at doing scale. I think he really makes things feel big, imposing. There's one shot in particular that I absolutely loved. I think they're in a planet called Jedna. Jedna. Jeddah. So they're in the planet Jeddah and they're in a town and just hovering above this town is a Star Destroyer. Yeah, that's true. And it feels huge and it feels far away and just imposing on this little town. And I thought that was Gareth Edwards to a T. I think he really knows how to do size because he deals with Godzilla. He deals with monsters that are huge and he makes them feel imposing. That's interesting. And I think he makes the Empire feel imposing. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess we disagree on that one. I mean, what I've got in my head, for example, are the desert landscapes that, uh, well, Stacey Ridley's character, called again, Ray, um, she's, you know, sand skifting through and you have a huge uh, sand dunes and uh, that that's just a bit more fairy tale to me, whereas I, I thought this film, there wasn't much fairy tale about it. It felt a bit more pedestrian. I, it's interesting you mentioned the tone because the tone is probably one of the, the points where the film is it's just a bit uncertain. I Do you get the sense that it's a war movie? Is that what this film is about? Some a lot of people saying have, that? have been describing it as a war movie. And I think if you choose to see it that way, there are some parts of the film that will be quite satisfying for you. But you'll still find other elements really jarring. I, what What is the tone? I To be honest, the tone that it most makes me think of is how do we walk this tightrope for this new franchise? I mean, they, it feels like they're trying to create a tone, a Star Wars tone, a Star Wars spin-off tone, because it, it doesn't have the same sort of heroism and uh, high stakes yeah, of the, of the central story. Um, but it, it's not it's not gritty and cynical at the same time either. It's sort of somewhere in between. It's a, to be you know what actually it's almost Marvel like except without the rigid formula. As in the Marvel fr- film franchise. Yeah, I guess. I mean, that's a lazy thing to say because it's Disney. But do you know what I mean? I do bit? know what you mean, and I that's that's when I think some of the things which really jarred with me in the film, which we won't go into now. Um, I think that was the the reshoots. It seems to be, uh, it's been reported anyway, that the reshoots that were happening was intended to be making the film more like the other episodes in the Star Wars franchise to make them more familiar and more similar to those those elements. And yeah, it's just so disheartening seeing seeing cameos and Easter eggs that are just so blatant. And I think you, we talked about this, Laurie, you said it was basically like the filmmakers think the audience is dumb. Yeah, I mean, and you have to be really careful saying this sort of thing because I, I don't mean to inflame the wrong sort of opinion, but I do believe this kind of filmmaking displays a very low regard for the audience. It's sort of, do you know when we reviewed Baywatch, or not, or we anticipated Baywatch in the Super Paper Bros episode earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when the, the Hoff was a big deal in culture, all you had to do was literally say the Hoff and people might start laughing because they recognised that reference. It's, it's, it's actually, it's basically marketing. It's like brand recognition. So let's just shove all these things in there and people will go, hey, I know what that is. And it's like the, this is what the executives think that's going on. They think people are going to go, oh, yeah, ha, 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 great. But that's not the reality at all. Instead, 
I think real fans just get irritated because it it's like a big tough kid stealing your toys from you and playing a worse game with them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, because you can imagine there are loads of... We already know that the Star Wars world is full of amazing fan fiction stories that have been going on for years and years and years. So this is a, a world that people are so used to imagining themselves as part of or so used to filling in the gaps themselves with that when the professionals start to do it, they've got a really, really, really difficult job and it just feels a bit lame. I have to say, I felt like this was a almost like the biggest budgeted fan-made film I've ever seen. And I mean that it doesn't quite hit the tone, but there's clearly money spent. There's clearly effort spent. Buckets of money spent. Yeah, and clearly they want to make a really good product. Um, another thing which I do think is quite good is the introduction of most of the new characters. Yeah, the there kind are a couple of The crew of, of Rogue One I think is good fun. Well, you liked uh, Felicity Jones at Genesso, didn't you? I did like her. I think she does a good job with quite thin writing. Um, but in particular, I really like Donnie Yen yes. as this sort of spiritual force sensitive person. He's not quite a Jedi, but he's got links to Jedi lives. He sort of, so he and uh, his mate Baze, I think it is, uh, are people who used to be part of the Jedi, Jedi Temple. So that town Phil described that has a Star Destroyer above it. You know, this is sort of blink and you'll miss it plot point. But they basically say, oh, there used to be a temple. And here are these weird sort of cultists who still act as though they're defending the temple. So they really looked up to the Jedi and truth and justice. But in reality, now they're just sort of sitting mm. around the city. And that's what he is. But he he plays it well, doesn't he? He's exactly the right man for that job, Donnie Yen. And he actually got the probably the the only laugh in the whole film for me. And actually, in our cinema screening, it seemed to be the only only line that actually got a chuckle. The one character that I thought was exceptional was uh, Riz Ahmed's character Bodhi, who I thought was just perfectly cast. He's actually a bit of a star. He was in Nightcrawler uh, alongside Jake Gyllenhaal, and he was also in an HBO show called The Night of. Oh yeah. So he's a he's a big time actor. I think he's really talented, and uh, he gives a little bit of heart. I think again in quite a small role or quite a thin role, he somehow manages to bring it a bit more to life than the other characters. Yeah, he feels real. I mean, so all these characters, they introduce a lot of them. They all have sort of mini stories of their own, and this is something that I sort of liked. Again, I like the attempt. I didn't like the final product. All of them are not simple. All of them have sort of at least two layers to their story. So your pilot that you're talking about, and this mm. isn't really a spoiler, listeners, he is finding himself wrapped up in the rebellion, but he has mixed loyalties. But he sort of wants to do the right thing. So there's your double layer there. He's not just a straightforward guy. He's got problems of his own. Just the way that his part falls into the story, it's a bit more believable than some of the others. Absolutely no one is straight down the line. Everyone's got a problem. And I found that tiring, Phil. Because that's not quite what Star Wars is about, really. No, Star Wars wasn't about that. I mean, Han Solo, you might say, is, oh, he's complex because he's a hero, but also he's a scoundrel. No, he's not. He, he's just <laughs> a rogue. He's a scoundrel. He's, he's a... not a bad guy. He's a rogue. That's, that's a well-worn character type. Luke Skywalker is an idealistic farm boy hero. You know, Princess Leia is a tough-as-nails you know, princess. princess that's it's it. so basic. And the, the layers that come through those characters are all to do with the way they interact with each other. And their, and their performance, performance, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Whereas this one, they come preloaded with sort of backstory that just gets a bit annoying. Everyone's got self-doubt and everyone's got sort of like horrific pasts that they're all trying to get over. And actually, it means that in a film that wants to be quite a light-hearted adventure, as I said earlier, it actually is struggling 
with its cast who are racked with self-doubts. It, it, it gives this weird sort of pessimistic tone to something that should be quite lively and fun. And makes the rebels into sort of this weird grey grey area morally yes. rather than just the good guys. And this is something that I think we've all seen coming because, you know, there have been think pieces that pop out every now and again uh, likening the fact that the rebellion in Star Wars that we all support is basically a terrorist organization. I mean, that, that's kind of what it is. They blew up this massive sta- uh, space station, killing billions of lives in the Star Wars universe, but we all cheer at it. Like, and they're sort of calling it out and saying, hang on a minute, guys, this isn't really good when you look at what's going on on the world stage. And so it's inevitable that that kind of let's not be too black and white about this, guys, thing would come into Star Wars. But they slightly ruined it here, to be honest, Phil. Well, they just seem to miss the point that this is Star Wars. It's it's, it's like Lord tale. of the Rings. It doesn't need to play by our world rules. It is literally a galaxy far, far away. And actually dragging in that sort of the link with what's going on in real world conflicts actually just sullies it. And it means it can't really be escapism anymore. It's sort of rooted to the spot in the politics of the day, which is just a bit depressing. It's like they, they think people like being miserable. Well, do you know what I mean about that? I don't want mm. to be too negative, but I did feel that there were no characters who were free to just get on with being fun adventure characters. Talking of uh, bad characters, I do think there was one absolute misfire of a character, and unfortunately it's played by Alan Tudyk, is that right? Uh, Tudyk, yes. Uh, that is the droid, K2SO. He, there, was a, there was some of his voice in that clip. I thought he was horribly judged as a character. He was often the character that was... I think they intended to be comic relief. I think they... Like I said, I think they imagine the cinema audience chuckling away Loving and laughing him out because loud, he's sort of clapping. this slightly odd, uh, constantly wisecracking, a bit sarcastic Very robot. Very cynical and sarcastic, yeah. But I just thought it was so not Star Wars. It just didn't match. He's got a great look about the, the droid. I like the design of the robot. He's a reconditioned uh, Imperial unit, isn't he? But his, his voice just doesn't fit. It doesn't match. It doesn't feel real. And I found myself cringing every single time he was on screen. This was a really bizarre... Because he just jarred. Yeah, it was a really bizarre thing because they've obviously worked very hard to give this guy gags and to try and lighten the mood. But I think it falls down in multiple ways because the gags just aren't very funny. They feel completely out of place in the scene. It's annoying. It's like, get a grip, robot. It's not Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know, one of the most downbeat science fiction stories in the world. This is Star Wars. You think about the robots that uh, came from the previous trilogy, the original trilogy... And you've got C-3PO. He's not sarcastic and making gags. He's pretty and polite because he's a service unit. That's how it works. R2-D2 is the closest who comes to being sarcastic. And the reason that we laugh at him is because he just bleeps at you so you can fill in the gaps with your own. It's sort the of... funniest joke you've ever heard yeah, in your head. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, I, I agree with you, Phil. I think it was really... I actually felt quite sad because there were so many jokes. Like, they relied on him time and time again to try and lift the mood. But not once did I laugh. And the cinema didn't either. It was, it was uh, what was it, dust clouds and tumbleweeds. Yeah, yeah, tumbleweed. That's exactly right. And I, I didn't think his chemistry was good with any of the uh, other characters either. He was obviously supposed to be almost like a partner in crime, but not quite crime, with Cassian Andor, who is Diego Luna. Mm, I, d- I just think the writing wasn't really up to scratch with that character. And actually, probably overall in this film the writing just isn't good enough i'm afraid that was yeah quite early on my notepad it's a really bad script listeners i think you know you don't need us to tell you probably there are some just excruciating lines to do with hope uh, at a certain point in the film there's another bit where they almost it's almost a joke we need to find someone to find something else it's just there were just basic sort of 
script writing rules that seem to have been ignored or and, flown out and the it window. just seems a bit clunky doesn't it yeah i mean there's a there's an audio quote that's used in the trailer so it's not a spoiler but at one point a character says save the rebellion save the dream which sounds like the beginning of a fundraising song doesn't it <laughs> but it's not that's not a good line and it and when you see it in the actual film the context makes even less sense and when you consider who he's saying it to as well can we talk a bit about Jin so yeah yeah i don't want to spoil anything but what did you make of her character when it comes to motivation you know everyone's losing their minds over another wonderful strong female character what did you think of her I think she has no motivation at all. It doesn't make sense in the film. And again, that comes down to poor writing, I think. It's not that I think Felicity Jones gives a bad performance. I think it's the fact that there doesn't seem to be any logic to why she is in the film other than they want to have a female lead and so they put her in there. Do you think so? Yeah, I think they could have easily uh, found ways to make her motivated and why she's driven in this story. But instead, they seem to kind of just forget those reasons even though they're actually in the movie well yeah i mean listeners we'll talk a lot more about this in the spoiler edition because phil and i have talked about this at length already but she's just a bit of a, a nothingy character unfortunately because of the mess surrounding her motivations and her sort of just everything about her she's not a very compelling lead because it's never really clear why she's acting the way that she is or whether she even really wants to be there i think they've tried to do something different but i think they just failed basically I, I'm getting the sense that I want to move on to spoilery stuff. I don't know about you, Laurie. No, no, I do. But I think we still need to finish it off. Um, I've got to put in a special note here for the score film. Now, this has actually been... Uh, a lot of stuff has been taught, said about this already because it's this guy, Michael Giacchino, or Giacchino, I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, and he's a big deal. He did Star Trek Beyond. He's done a lot of popular franchise movies. which I, And some of the music I quite like. Yeah, yeah. He's sort of dependable, safe pair of hands. And you can see why it is that he got this gig. But uh, one of the curious uh, tidbits I've heard about is that he had a short amount of time. I think he replaced someone basically for it. Oh, really? Yeah, um, to sort of turn it into the right kind of mood. And I'm afraid, listeners, what he's done is aped John Williams in about the worst way possible. It felt and sounded to me, and I'm not normally one to get upset about music. Laurie's the musical one. But for me, it just didn't sound like a real orchestra. It sounded kind of like a cheap, re- re- what's the word, synthesised version yeah, of Yeah, and, and the, the reason you say that is because there are, it is, it's sort of almost chamber in uh, some of the instrumentation. Like there's very sort of bare flute and clarinet riffs. And what it's, if you listen to Star Wars 4, A New Hope, you'll, it's so obviously just lifted straight from there. And I sort of respect the guy for really taking a crack at it, but I suspect what's happened is the studios have said, now we need the tones change here. Gareth's done a good job and everything, but it's just not Star Wars give us Star Wars, and therefore he's done it. And I think the particular problem with it isn't necessarily the music on its own terms, although it's so obviously, you know, a copy of John Williams. It's because it doesn't match the style of the direction. It doesn't match the colour schemes. It doesn't match the tone of the film. It doesn't match the story. It's just triggering. It's sort of, it's trying to trigger the Star Wars buttons in your brain and make you think, oh yeah, they're on, they're on a great adventure. But you forget that some of the bombastic like swells in the brass and the scores in John Williams was when Luke Skywalker was literally swinging across a canyon yeah. holding a princess. That's why the score works there. And when you've got the sort of moody strings that are slightly sort of pantomime-y, like sure the Darth Vader theme, the Imperial theme, that works because you have really long and slow shots of very officious military trooping about. And it's very slow. Like Star Wars uses a lot of wide angle shots, a very static camera, and it's quite sort of boring and plain. So mm. you can play the sort of melodramatic music 
because, because it's, it's introduction to the, the, yeah, the yeah, characters exactly. again, isn't it? And it sort of fills the drama, the sort of pantomime drama in. But this film is trying to be too serious. So it just feels like a total mismatch. I, I'm really curious to know what the original score was like. I, I couldn't believe how much it was used as well. If, if, you, if you don't have a particularly good score and it's not, and when it's competing against one of the most legendary scores there is, why would you use it all the time? And in yeah. fact, when the film went to a more quiet moment, it, it seemed to be a lot more fun and a lot more easy to enjoy it. Yeah, but the music felt so like much. an intruder often, didn't it? It made it feel like a montage as well. It felt, it was particularly the opening part of the film, I felt like we were just ploughing through information, yeah. and exposition and planets and all sorts of settings. And I just, I just wanted it to stop, yeah. slow down, take your time. The, the music's there to establish, like you say, establish these different factions. And it just didn't have that function. No, it didn't get it right. I mean, there are no memorable themes either. Uh, what did you think of um, Ben Mendelsohn, I think he is, as this new Imperial commander serving underneath a well-known and recognised Imperial commander with some of the weirdest CGI work we've ever seen? Mm. I won't say any more than that. I thought there was times when I thought he was great and times when I thought he was awful. Because the film depended on him quite a lot. He had a lot of screen time. I actually think he had more than several of the main characters. I think there was... It was tonally, again, all over the place. And his performance is kind of like a microcosm for the film, I think, because I don't think he really knew what what it was that was required of him. Did he need to be the sort of emotive, aggressive, shouty, yelly person? Or did he need to portray sort of Steely-eyed, the strength yeah. of the Empire? And it's just so disheartening that they seem to not really understand the original Star Wars films. Yeah, that is because the thing, isn't it? A large part of the Empire having that character was the officers contrasting with Darth Vader in the original films. And they're all very, they're very confident, they're very sure of themselves. They're not phased by these pathetic rebels. And that sort of confidence is what leads to their downfall. In this film, he seems absolutely distraught by what's going on and he can't seem to handle his emotions. He's, He's yelling like a at everyone. He's a child, isn't he? Yeah. But when, whenever there was a moment when he could just be strong and uh, assertive, I thought his performance was quite good. But that was a few and far between. I liked him at the beginning. And, you know, I quit a couple of notes and then we'll start wrapping it up, listeners. I thought uh, Mads Mikkelsen, who I've got quite a soft spot for, I think had a really thankless role here. I thought, you know, see what you think, listeners. I reckon that whole storyline should have just been eliminated, basically. If I was rewriting it, just forget it. I didn't work. I didn't feel any emotional connection. The film certainly didn't seem to have any emotional connection to anything that was going on. It didn't show you the stuff that needed to be seen to sell that storyline. I think it would have worked better if they just cut off that whole story and started about halfway through the movie. Mm. What grade would you give it, man? Well, just before I give you the grade, Phil, I also want to say that I thought the action direction was quite poor uh, throughout a lot of the movie. I think there's a sequence towards the end, which is fun, but not because it's well-directed and not because it's well-edited, but because (laughs) it just borrows from the old Star Wars very, very liberally. But on the whole, and this is kind of ties back into what I said right at the beginning, I thought it was bad because there were no climaxes, any of the mini adventures in any of the any of the movies. There were, no, there were no sort of iconic shots that resonated with me and will stay with me. There were no sort of there were just no pinnacles to anything. No moments. And an action scene really, 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 really needs that. I mean, they kind of have a couple. There's a, there's a scene with a tank in a crowded street. Do you remember that? Mm. Which I think had the potential to be quite good. 
but sort of again there were no pinnacle moments there until Donnie Yen turns up Donnie Yen does have a nice little moment which that, kind of works but it doesn't it, quite land no yeah. even that doesn't land the way that it should so I thought it was bad direction and even I picked up some weirdly B-movie vibes from this film which you just should not be feeling with a production of this calibre budget and exposure but this is this is my big signifier for it check out listeners when spaceships take off there are quite a few shots of spaceships taking off with people in them to take them somewhere. They move really quickly. So the takeoff is always really fast. They reuse shots from the original trilogy to make it happen. Sometimes the ship will bend around a landmark to convince you that they're really there. I thought every single one of those shots was wrong, basically. Well, in terms of it just didn't have the feel of a spacecraft. It moved too fast. It felt sort of expositional. So why even bother having it? It, mm. it didn't need an effects shot. It was like either the budget was low and they had to get it out the way too fast, or I just don't know. There was something really odd. Just check out the ways the spaceships take off, and I think you'll see what I mean. In in every other Star Wars film, they do that sort of stuff really well. Mm. Just think about you know Darth Maul leaping onto the ship in Tatooine, even in the Phantom Menace. Uh, you think about uh, the ship that blasted its way out of Mos Eisley. You know the Millennium Falcon as it leaves, and then getting out of Hoth as well. In the original Star Wars film, they do that stuff brilliantly. This film, just bad. Right. Interesting. I think grade. we're starting to get into nitpicking territory. So I no, think no, I, thought, I think that really says something about the whole film, but I, I take your point. Give I think a it's a valid point. I'm going to give it a grade of, oh gosh, I think I might give it a grade of a C. C, really? Yeah, I, I feel like this film, for every step that it takes forward, it takes three steps back. And that's three. Generally, yeah, generally that's what it felt like. And even though I really wanted to like it, I found myself just rolling my eyes and just feeling like, oh, I could have done a better job. Did you think that? Yeah. Like, I know now? I know, I could have written a better script. Uh, if you give me this script now, I could have done a better draft. Mm, well, how interesting. I don't think you're going to get that many offers, but no, let's but see. that, But that feeling, even if it's not, if it, even if I'm wrong, the fact that I have that feeling, I think is a bad sign. Okay. Uh, I think, Phil, I'm going to be slightly more optimistic than you, despite the fact that I've basically said nothing but negative things. And when you asked me what I liked, it took me a full minute to even come up with <laughs> one thing. Uh, I'm actually going to give it a B minus... And I recognise how risky that is. A whole two grades above. I know. but the, And the reason I do it is that I have a feeling that in the reverse of Star Wars The Force Awakens, where when I went and rewatched it, I liked it less, I have a feeling that I might like this more the next time I see it, when expectation has gone and when it's not midnight. <laughs> I do think that's a possibility. But then I think there's always going to be those things which just irritate me and get, get under my skin and yeah. just seem wrong. And and I think that's the thing. It's not that everything is wrong. It's that the things that are wrong really get under your skin. Well, listeners, we'd really love to know what you think. And please take our word for it that we would love everyone to go and see it because it's one of these things that is a cultural phenomenon. It's all over the world. We're kind of assuming you will see it and you're going to listen to the spoiler bits as well because it just it, regardless of what we say, it's something which you need to decide for yourself. And it's kind of, in a way, in a lame sort of way, I would say it's a bit important actually because this is going to have a massive effect on the way that films and the Star Wars franchise in particular gets done f henceforth. This is going to affect uh, episode nine or episode eight. It's going to affect everything. So you know, how we respond to it does matter to Disney, I think. Mm, interesting, interesting. So let's, let's be honest about whether it's any good yeah. rather than just a nostalgia exercise. Look at it as an actual product rather than just Star Wars thing. Yeah, still good for Christmas though, eh? Yeah. Phil, do you have any bonuses? Uh, why don't we save bonuses for the spoiler thing? Just in so? case, Just in case uh, there might be somebody who says, oh, I don't want to know that. 
All right, okay, okay. Listeners, thanks so much for listening. We're going to move straight on to part two as we record, but obviously, you know, take your time and come back to it after you've seen Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. And do email us in, superbailybros at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at superbailybros. We'd like to hear from you. Good stuff.